Yes, here we are. Robcast episode 301, and this episode is called And Then All of Them Passed. <laughs> this Saturday is the first Saturday school. My son Trace and I, we have been cooking something up for you uh, actually for a really long time. And um, man, honestly, we are so excited. Um, so we're going to be doing Saturday school the first Saturday of each month. And in many ways, we want to give you a new starting point, a different starting point for understanding what this experience is that we are having. Although that's not even actually what we're trying to do. What we want to do is show you that if you're not a human being having an experience, you are an experience. And so we're going to, oh, we're going to be all over the place. And what's going to happen over this year is the first Saturday of each month, we're going to build on the previous Saturday. And um, yeah, we've got it mapped out where we want to take you. And so uh, you can register for Saturday school at my site. And then speaking of school, speaking of class, speaking of events and sessions, um, February 21st, I'm doing Rob Bell writing class again. I did it uh, four times last fall, and that class is tight. It's got that dialed in. It's um, Yeah, I take you through the books I've written and what I learned about writing, and then I give you exercises, mantras, phrases, questions to ask to um, hopefully get you on your way with your writing. So um, doing the writing class again, and then... February 28th, Sunday at noon, I'm doing um, a session called How to Create. And I've interacted with so many people who, how do you make things? How do you make things without fear and with love, without all those voices in your head, so that you're just free to, to make it and to put it out in the world? So that is the 28th. Then um, the second Saturday school is the 6th of March. And then the following week, the 14th of February at noon uh, of March, sorry, the 14th of March, Sunday, I'm doing uh, a class called How to Tell a Story. <laughs> Does that sound like so much fun? I basically came up with all the things that I love to talk about, and I'm going to be doing these um, events live online, Zoom style. And then um, March 21st, another question that I've heard a number of people ask. I'll be doing a class, event, session um, called How to Be Curious. Yeah. And then the following, um, the third, April 3rd, will be the third um, Saturday school. So there we go. Um, roughly once a week, I'll be doing uh, a live event online. And yeah, you know, we're going to get through this, all of us together. And... So now we get to talk about and then all of them passed. So this episode is, is built around a story of something that happened last year. It's a story about me, uh, but any good story is about all of us. So this story is also about you. I mean, that's why we enjoy a story is because we know that we're in there somewhere. And uh, I'm going to take you into the deep weeds on something that happened last year. But even as I say that... It's actually a story about something that didn't happen. Um, that's the great part here. Nothing really happened. So this story, this episode, in some ways, the entire story it's built around is a, 
it's just a nothing burger. Uh, the spoiler alert here is that there isn't one. <laughs> and that's actually why I'm going to tell you this story, because there's a truth lurking in here. Um, and here's the truth. I'll just say it up front, just to really eliminate any you know total spoiler alert on a story that has no spoilers. Um, the truth here is that there is no it. And so my hope is that in telling you this story about what happened, what didn't happen last year, um, perhaps it will help release and relieve you of the idea that there's an it. That if you could just get it, or make it, or achieve it, or get them to notice or recognize it, then everything would magically be different and you'd be better off and everything would mystically change into something completely other than it is. we'll all be better off when we let go of the idea that there's an it. So, of course, uh, the question is, well, what is it? Well, that's why we tell stories, right? To find out. So, a number of years ago, 2017-ish, I was doing my usual Largo shows here in Los Angeles, and I started showing pictures. Oh, by the way, Largo shows. Man, remember when we used to get in rooms, like a, a whole bunch of us in a room? Like a show, a tour, uh, a two-day, an event. That's like the lifeblood of everything I do, and I haven't done it. We haven't done it in over a year. Man, I miss those. I'm, I miss you, <laughs> I miss everybody being in a room together. I can't talk about Largo shows without... Mm. Mm. Can you feel that? What a, what a curveball we were all thrown. So I was doing my u- usual Largo shows, and I started showing pictures of things I'd taken on my iPhone. Um, and just like things I saw walking the dog, billboards that I saw driving Violet to school, just pictures of um, my life, and I started more and more, the, the shows that I was doing, the front end would be like 10 pictures, 20 pictures. I think there was one show where I showed like 70 iPhone pictures, and I started sequencing and arranging these photos in particular ways. And so everybody would be laughing, because a lot of the photos were just everyday stuff around graffiti, um, Pictures that I saw on lamp posts, uh, billboards, just stuff that I saw, objects. But then I would arrange and sequence them so that you're laughing, but gradually I would watch the audience start to realize there was actually a point to the way that the pictures were ordered and how they were being connected with the words in between the pictures. And uh, I remember after one of the shows, Kristen said, she said, you know, that whole thing you're doing with those pictures, she said, it's the closest we get to seeing how you see the world. Which I thought was really interesting because I felt like I was exploring something that went way beyond just iPhone pictures. Uh, And so I do another show and and sequence a a different series of pictures. A friend of mine came to one of those and he's like, hey, honestly, this is like the best thing you've ever done. You, you know you're onto it when a friend is that ruthlessly honest. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, that other stuff you've done for like what? Yeah, but this, this right here, this is actually 
This is actually way better. So <coughs> what happened is uh, I began to think, oh, I think this is a, this is a thing here. Um, and I noticed that, that what happened is joy and pain and uh, the everyday transcendence of life and then the temporary, temporal, fragile, fleeting nature of life all were like almost like interlinked, like dance partners in these pictures that I was showing. And I um, somehow all these pictures I was showing connected me to the book of Ecclesiastes, this ancient Hebrew wisdom book. And this idea of the lightness after the heaviness of life. There's light, there's heavy, there's the heaviness of life that just drowns you, that just holds you under, you're suffocating, it's claustrophobic. And then there's a lightness on the other side of that heaviness. And eventually I realized, oh, this is like a this is a thing. This is like a two-hour, this is a tour. I should take this, hone it, and then I should take this around and share this whole thing with people. That's how it works, by the way. Things, they grow over time. All the stuff that matters takes a while. So over a couple of years, uh, I started realizing, oh, this is about joy, but this is about joy through the pain and heartache and loss and fragile nature of life. I should call this an introduction to joy. Yeah, so all of it just emerged over time, like seeds that you plant, and then over time, they start to grow into something. And so in 2019, I went out and uh, took an introduction to joy to a number, like 40-something cities around the world. And then at the end of 2019, remember that? Remember the year before 2020, back then? <laughs> um, back in the 19s, uh, we filmed it at the very end of that tour. So by February of 2020, uh, I think it got done, color correction, edit, all that. Andrew Morgan shot it. Lance Coons was the DP. Like, they made such, uh, they made such a good film. Um, it looks, I, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, they did it. Um, so we filmed the, one of the last live shows, and by January, February, it was all edited and color corrected, and we had ourselves a good film. My instinct all along was we make the film, and then the day that it's ready, we put it on YouTube, free, now, for everybody. Like, what else would we do? But I have some friends who, uh, and you, you got to have those friends, right? The wise ones, the ones who who uh, help you think wider and, and more broadly and deeper and think through things. I had a number of friends who were like, wait, 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 this is like a good film. Uh, you, should, we should shop, you should shop this around to all the streaming services. You got your HBO, your Netflix, your Amazon, your Hulu, Disney+. Plus. Uh, well, I'm sure there's some new ones this week. Um, they were like, there's somebody who would, who would want this. This is like really good. And, and friends who are in the industry were like, this... Yeah, this somebody's gonna want this. Um, me, I'm. Uh, let's just put it on YouTube right now. But it's you have your convictions. You have how you do things. You have your integrity. You have your home base. Your starting point. How you hold things together. Um, how you do what you do. But then there's also this discernment of staying open. You also 
it's grounded and centered, but there's also flow. There's also openness. There's also letting yourself be surprised. There's also being flexible and limber and open to possibilities that you might not have come up with on your own. There's this dance between center, uh, the place you're coming from, and flow, how you move in the world. I remember at, at Christmas that year, uh, Christmas Day, we were at a friend's house for a Christmas party, and a producer friend of mine was like, how come uh, this isn't on Netflix? Why aren't you on Netflix? What's and I'd heard that 5,000 times. Um, and the answer is because I'd been down that road, and all I'd ever gotten was no's. Um, all I'd ever gotten was glassy-eyed looks, like, what? Who are you? What do you? We don't understand what you do. No, we're not interested. I'd, I'd gotten, I've gotten so many rejections or um, ghosting, just not even, like, responses. I'd had that happen so many times that, uh, no, I'll just put it on YouTube for free tomorrow, and everybody who wants to watch it can watch it, and then away we go. But my friends were like, no, you need to, like, we need to do this proper. And I have this beloved friend, Chris. Shout out to Chris, who, who's, um, he seems to know everybody. He is a glorious, luminous human being who was like, I got this, I'll take it, and uh, we'll take it around. We'll play the game as the game is played, and, and we'll see what we can figure out. So, all right, let's do it. Now, let me give you a bit of backstory. Uh, maybe 2015-ish, roughly around six years ago, I had this idea for a TV show. Um, and so I had gone around, gone, like, and, the, and there's like a way that it works. Because whatever area you're in, um, however it is, uh, the, the rules of the field that you do your thing in, every area has its rules, right? There's like a playing field. So when you enter into new territory, okay, how does this one work? What are the rules to this one? And so you get you have an agent and an agency, and then that agent contacts these people, and then these people talk to these people, and then you go in. And so uh, in the fall of 2015, I had scheduled, I don't even know how many of them I went to, these what are called pitch meetings where you go and you pitch a TV show idea. And I'm telling you, you would laugh because they, they have like a liturgy. They have like a way that they unfold. And you go to the front desk, and it's like a really sleek desk somewhere. Uh, you're in Hollywood. You're in the Valley. You're down in Manhattan Beach. You're at um, Beverly Hills. You're, it's all, you walk in, and there's cool music. It's um, music, you know what I'm talking about? Like the lobby of a boutique hotel. You know that music is playing. And then somebody with a headset says, okay, they'll be with you in a minute. And then somebody comes out and meets you. Then you go into a corner. It's always a corner room, and it has a long oval table with chairs around it and there's a screen if you need to show footage of something i mean it's all it's the same thing after a while you're just smiling because you're like i've been here and then all these people come in and they have ipads or notebooks and they introduce themselves i'm so and so i'm with a social media group i'm with digital media i'm with content development i'm uh with story i'm with uh like and then i would tell them my idea and this was uh 2000 yeah so this is 2015 this is six years ago i was just like, okay, somebody, here's my pitch. I can do my pitch for you right now. It's like uh, emblazoned in my psyche. My pitch was, nobody is talking about spirituality in a compelling way in the same way that politics is talked about. Because you think about the two things that get everybody talking the quickest with the most heat at Thanksgiving, and it's religion and politics. And in politics, we have every variation under the sun, 
And then I would say to this room full of people around the table, so tell me your favorite spiritual show that is funny, honest, subversive, informed, intellectually rigorous, inspiring. And, and I would just ask that question. What is the John Stewart of spirituality? What's the Stephen Colbert of spirituality? Um, just, just name a few of those shows. And every room goes quiet. I literally had people say, The Simpsons? <laughs> Somebody one time literally in a meeting said, Touched by an angel? <laughs> what is that? So I would do my pitch and I would say, Somebody is going to make a show that is blatantly spiritual, rooted in ancient wisdom that is of this moment and speaks to all the questions we're all asking right now. And then I would say something along the lines of, I've been doing this for a long time. Um, we can do this. We could make this show. And then I would give them like 30 ideas of how we'd go about doing it. And I'm telling you, over and over again, just glassy eyes. And then they'd get... And then uh, sometimes um, I would be listening to an executive tell me I don't, I don't really know, I don't understand kind of what you mean. But then what they do is they, the shows that the, whatever studio or production house you're at, the shows they've made, they've taken the posters of those shows and those are on the walls to give you an idea of what they made. And there are times literally when I've been listening to an executive, but behind the executive, um, over her shoulder on the wall is a whole row of framed posters of shows that, that they've made. And you'd be like, well, of course, I, of course they're not really going to be into my idea. These are the other, sh these are the shows they have made. Do you see what I mean? Like if, by the way, if you're not laughing, you know what I mean? If you're not in on the joke from the get-go, um, you're missing out. <laughs> and so I'm telling you, I, I sat through, I did more of these meetings and more pitches, and then almost every, okay, let's just say it, every time, the meeting would sort of end in a fizzle, like, well, Rob, uh, this is very interesting, much for us to think about, and then the meeting would be over, and then somebody would lean over to me and say, you know, I grew up, uh, my parents were, and then they named some religious tradition, and then they'd say, what do you think about and then the other person who was almost out the door of the meeting room would come back in and be like, yeah, you know, I've always wanted to, to, to know. Why does da-da-da-da-da-da? And I can't tell you the number of times when the very same people who sat around going, we, uh, how, we don't really know how you would make this show. We don't, there's, there, there isn't an audience for this. Would then, as soon as the pitch was done and the meeting was done, start firing away questions and lean forward and be like, I know, I've always wondered about this. My brother thinks this, my sister thinks this, you know, my parents taught me, you know, I went to Catholic school, and, but then I left, and, I went, and you know, when I was at university, I was taught, and oftentimes they'd stay, and the meeting, the talking afterwards would be longer than the pitch meeting. People would sit in a meeting and say to me with a straight face, you know, I've been in this industry a long time, um, there is no interest. No, we, we're not going to, no network is going, no streaming is, is going to be interested in, in, I just don't see how you would ever get anybody interested in your idea. And then that person, 
the meeting's over, would then sit and talk to me for as long as I could stay about the topic that they just said nobody is interested in. I cannot believe how many times I saw that. So after a while, you can get discouraged. I would, and then I would get in my car and drive home, and I'd be sitting there in LA traffic. Like, isn't this interesting? Now, you can get discouraged by rejections and no's and getting ghosted on email and the glassy eyes and the, huh, well, we'll think about that and get back to you, which is basically, we're never going to contact you, Rob Bell. <laughs> and I would sit there in traffic on my way home and be reminded again that what you do is you take all the no's and the rejections and the glassy-eyed looks like, what? And you see it as data. You see it as information. You see it because the universe is rigged in favor of your growth. That's the only, it's the only way to play the game. And you go, okay, so this is telling me something. Apparently this thing that I do, that I love doing, that I'm gonna just keep, I'm just gonna keep doing this for as long as I'm here. For this round, this is, I'm in. I've always been in, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just gonna keep doing what I do. Um, this world isn't interested. Okay, do I wanna go to, do I wanna go to some more meetings or not? Do I wanna do some more pitches or not? Well, let's try a few more, might as well. Let's see what else we learn. Let's see what else helps shape and form who we are. So I had had uh, multiple experiences, not just that particular fall and those pitch meetings, but I had had numerous experiences where I was like, okay, there's something about when I try to explain what I do that puts me in a position that's like, ugh, it doesn't work for me. It just doesn't work. And it doesn't work for them, and it just it doesn't work, period. Um, oh, by the way, there is a speaking agency because there's the there's us these agents who can their job is to get you speaking gigs. Like, hey, I got you a gig at this place speaking to this group of people, and they approached me right around the same time and said, "We this is one of the larger largest speaking agencies in the world." They're like, "We love what you do." we're going to get you the most amazing speaking gigs. We're going to have you speaking. And they named like all these Fortune 500 companies and all these um, events, like art events and creative events. And they have been like uh, self-empowerment. Like they just named, all, we're going to have you here. We believe you could do that. They just did what agents do, which was they just promised you the moon. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, okay, fine. I, <laughs> for a year and a half, by the way, I've never told any of these stories, and now I'm telling them to you. I think for a year and a half they represented me. They couldn't get me one speaking gig. One. There is a gig that came to, somebody contacted me about something, and I just passed it along to them, and they organized the details of a speaking gig in Iceland. How perfect is that for the story? Now that I think about it, episode 301, they did arrange a speaking gig in Iceland, which was wonderful. Shout out to all my Iceland friends. It was great. But for those of you who are like, if I could just get noticed by them, if I could just get signed by them, if so-and-so would just represent me, I'm telling you, 
one of, if not largest speaking agencies in the world, couldn't get me a gig for a year and a half. And they would say, yeah, we, we explain who you are and what you do, and, and uh, just nobody's interested. <laughs> they would try to say it more diplomatically, and I would just say, they're not interested. Yeah, yeah, they're not interested. Yeah, they passed. Oh, my God, how many times have I heard that? They passed. Oh, my, that became like a ritual or a mantra. I would, like, dip my toe in that sort of world. <laughs> so all of you, by the way, all of you who are like, well, you're so-and-so, so it's easy for you. Uh, what are you talking about? Because <laughs> that went month after month after, yeah, no, we, 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 we pitched you to these people. We presented you to these people. We sent your, we made a highlight reel and sent it to these people, and they were like, nah. <laughs> oh, my word. And then, of course, there's Netflix who uh, we made a film called Everything is Spiritual in 2016 and couldn't have cared less about that film. Like, I can't get arrested by these people. Now, side note, uh, for several years there, my, my daughter went to a school across the street from Netflix. And uh, so we would drive down uh, Melrose every day. I would take her to school. And I think Netflix owns 4,000 billboards along Melrose. And those billboards are constantly being swapped out by new shows. And there was a couple years there when I swear every week, every billboard was a new comedian who'd been given a special. So at the exact moment when I had made this film, Everything is Spiritual, and uh, had toured it, like I think we did 31 cities, made this film, absolutely zero interest, but apparently every comedian and her brother can get a special because those billboards are constantly being swapped out. See, once again, the feeling. You can get env envious. You can get jealous. You can get a sense of entitlement. You can get like a bitterness, like people with no talent, with nothing to say, get their own special. And no, I don't, you can feel sorry for yourself. You can play victim. Uh, you can get like a super arrogant... I'm just too, or you just take it as data and information. Okay, all right. Apparently, this is telling me something about who I am and how I do what I do. Apparently, that isn't my path. Okay, okay. So I had been through this process living right here in the heart of this particular industry and having lots of friends who are not only in that field and playing that game, but winning, like getting extraordinary things, television deals, speaking deal, every just watching friends. And yet every time I sort of like dip my toe, uh, just nothing, just nothing. Nobody cares. <laughs> uh, by the way, it was around that time that my son Preston, who would have been 15 at the time, I remember him saying, hey, Dad, like, anything spiritual, if it gets put in front of you and you didn't ask for it, then you're like, you want nothing to do with it. You're like super turned off. He's like, if you were like on one of those billboards, like they were like trying to get people to listen to, he's like, ugh. That's not, that's not what you do. 
No, if, if I see, it's like if I saw something spiritual that somebody was like trying to tell me I should like or listen to or consume or watch, he's like, I'm instantly turned off. I'm, there's no way I'm going to do that. Ugh. And I remember Kristen saying to me around that time, Rob, the thing about you, having watched what you do, is she said, when the student is ready, the teacher arrives. And she says, I've watched for a number of years. And if people aren't ready for what you do and they come across it, they either ignore it or they misunderstand. And that turns into all kinds of things. Yeah. So you can see something, a, a new clarity, because you're, it's like you're endlessly moving into greater degrees of clarity about who you are and how you do what you do, which is no judgment on anyone else. Someone else takes a radically different path. Great. Awesome. Go for it. But what you are doing, what I am doing, is we are growing in clarity, in a grounded, centered clarity about who we are and how we move in the world. And so I'd already had this sense, but then it really began to get honed in. I do my work, and I put it out there, I make it available, and then I make more. And I don't really do pitches. I don't try to convince anybody of anything. I don't do oval conference rooms. Uh, now, you can't become a, a new fundamentalist on all this, because maybe at some point, maybe next week, somebody will be like, hey, will you come tell these people about this idea you have? Like, yeah, okay, I'm there. <laughs> So you, if you get too binary, if you make it too like, I don't do, well, that's the thing about discernment, is you're growing in who you are and how you do things, but you also, you stay limber and flexible, and you keep the right doors open in the right ways. But this conviction, this growing awareness for me, I do my work, and I make uh, whatever it is with joy, and then make it available how uh, as simply and cleanly as possible, all of it with airtight integrity, because the energetic imprint of the creator is in the creation. The energy with which you created it and did it is in the work that you're doing. So airtight integrity. Uh, whatever tension about am I any good or I'll show them or bitterness or I haven't gotten my due or I haven't, all that, you got to work through that because otherwise it's in the work you're doing. Um, it's in the work you're doing. Envy, jealousy, they got a break, I didn't. How come they get all that? Man, that, that kills your joy. That kills your joy. Uh, so you, you do what you do calmly with love, because what else would you do? And you get to do this. You get to explore who you are and who you're, what you're here to do. Um, generosity and gratitude are the engine of the whole thing. And then you embrace the restlessness, the like, okay, what's next? There's some new thing. What is it? Huh? It's inviting me to something. I wonder what it is. Let's follow it. Let's see what it is. So... I give you all that backstory. So when friends that I really respect are like, hey, this introduction to Joy Film is really good. We should shop this around. Okay. Uh, okay, let's do it then. 
let's play this game. Um, so out went uh, emails, and and then Chris would he kept informing me. Okay, we talked to so and so. HBO has it. They're watching it this week. We're waiting to hear back. And this agent is talking to that agent, and okay. And for me, it was like okay, uh, but it doesn't work. We're going to YouTube the next that day, and so you wait and you wait. Okay, so and so's on vacation, but then they're coming back. Oh, there's a pandemic, so they've all uh, left their offices and they're working virtually, and everything's slowed down. So it'll be another couple of weeks. Um, so I would just keep getting uh, updates, and and then. Uh, what we started to get that so and so pass uh, prime passed hbo passed hulu and at the very end the only one that hadn't officially said no and the language is they passed isn't that great it's not no it's not a rejection it's they passed we'll pass thanks great film we'll pass and the last one of course that we hadn't heard from was netflix and then uh the day came 5 months after the film was done, five months um, that Netflix had passed. You know, it's good. It's just, uh, it's not what we do. And I swear to you, it was on YouTube within hours. <laughs> uh, and we're all good. It was like one of those things where you're open. Let's try this. But you already... You know what you'll do unless you're surprised, and you're not surprised, could have been surprised, not surprised, and we put it on YouTube, and we're good. Oh, that feeling of just sharing it, and now it's out there, and whoever wants to find it can find it. Can you imagine, by the way, last year, during those five months, if I'd made a Robcast and I'd been like, oh, guys, it's... <laughs> I can't even do this impersonation without just sounding like an idiot. Guys, it's so tough. I'm just going through such a difficult time. I mean, it feels like everything's hanging in the balance, all that. You, you'd be like, what? And, I, and you found out that I was like, well, we're shopping my new film around with the stream. Right? You'd be like, come on. Come on. You know what you'd also tell me? You'd be like, uh, hey, Rob Bell, you're thinking that that is like going to be the thing that really helps. No, just keep being Rob Bell. That's what you'd say to me, right? Like whether they say no or say yes, then you'll just, what's the big deal here? Try it, fine. But like, if I was like, oh, I mean, whew, you just gotta, you just gotta protect yourself against rejection because it's tough out there. But I mean, if I don't get this, I mean, everything's been working towards, you'd be like, what are you talking about? Just keep, you would tell me. No, just be Rob Bell. Just keep doing your thing. And that's why I'm doing this episode is to tell you the same thing. There is no it. There is no person somewhere who, if they will recognize you or give you a deal or acknowledge you or tell everybody about how awesome you are or sign you or give you that contract or notice you or promote you, uh, there is no person who holds that kind of power and influence over you. Whoever it is, that you're like, if they would just recognize me, here's the thing. If they did, and I speak from personal experience, imagine like the, the, the biggest person who if they were to celebrate you and promote you, everything would change. Here's the thing. You know what happens? You wake up 
the next morning and you're the same person and your life is pretty much the same. And if you don't love what you're doing, then you're really in trouble because you were living, a friend of mine calls it uh, the magical other. Another friend calls it the sacred object. It's the thing that you come to believe, if I just had that, then. Yeah, yeah, there is no it. If only I could get them to notice. If only I was, if I could meet them, if I could get recognized by them, if I could get that many followers, if I could get my numbers up to this. There is no it. There is an it is a mirage. It is a mirage. Now, there are goals. There are plans. You know, you got your squad goals. There is a direction. There's focus. There's benchmarks. There's metrics. That's fine. That's all great. Good. There are partners that you are looking for. Yeah. Right now, I've created some things, and I am open and looking for particular partners I'm in airtight integrity and alignment with that can help me make a couple of these things I've made and like help me get them out to people. So yeah, that's fine. Of course, of course. But that can easily have a trap in it, which is that if you don't get it or them or arrive or attain, then somehow you've failed. So you're making some goals, you got some plans, you're headed in a particular direction, you're looking for a particular people who can partner with you to, great, yeah, fine. But if at any point, because what we're looking for here is the subtle, uh, it's the spirit undertone that shrinks the generosity of the universe down to, and the options and the vast creativity down to, if I don't get that, or if I don't get their attention, or if they don't give me a contract, then... It takes the vastness, the stupendous fecundity of creation and this universe that never stops becoming in all its vast diversity and difference, and it shrinks it down to a particular one metric that if you don't meet that, then you aren't anybody. By the way, side note, the number of people I have interacted with who are doing such extraordinary, like, earth-tilting work, quietly and humbly, that there would be no way to capture what they do on social media. Honestly, well, obviously obviously, you know that, that the least influential people are the people who call themselves influencers, right? Like, if you meet somebody who says they're a social media influencer, um, no. That's not actually influence. That's called sales. They should say they're a salesperson. Actual influence cannot be captured in the two-dimensional surface screen of a phone and a social media app. Actual influence tilts the world in flesh and blood and is impossible to capture in social media. So just remember that anybody who calls himself an influencer isn't. That actual influence would never call itself an influencer, because it's actually influencing. Yeah, so anybody who has some, I guess I'm supposed to have a platform that's this big. You know what, I should probably do a whole event or a class on this, huh? How to build your thing your way. Um, 
but anybody who's told anybody, well, you have to have this many followers or numbers or anything, honestly, the people who really move things um, aren't concerned with such things because they're actually influencing things. Yeah. So we have no problem with goals. We have no problem with making plans. We have no problem with heading in a particular direction, focus, benchmarks, uh, ideally what you'd like to accomplish. But if your joy and your sense of presence and grounding is dependent on a particular outcome, that's an it, and there is no it. It doesn't work that way. So if you think you need a particular someone to like your stuff or sign you or recognize you or give you a deal or promote you or notice you or validate you in your work or grant you authority or tell you that you're legitimate or tell you that you're the real thing, number one, what you are doing in that moment is placing your joy in someone else's hands. This is your territory, and you're allowing somebody else to trample all over your territory. You're taking your joy, and you're putting it in someone else's hands. You are handing over your power. We don't hand over our power. We exercise our power in the world with goodness and humility and excellence. So you can see when you have an it, like if this, then I'll be legit, then I'll be happy, then I, you have placed your joy in someone else's hands. You've given them way more power than they should have. Number two, when you have an it, what ends up happening is you end up locating your joy in the outcome of your energies and efforts and not the presence in your energies and efforts. The reward is that you get to live this life and do this and try this and attempt this and learn this and craft it and shape it. Yeah. If you need your kids to, to end up a certain way or, or get certain test scores or get into certain schools in order to justify your efforts and sacrifices and energies on their behalf, then you have placed the joy of having kids in the outcome and not the day-to-day -day abiding presence of this extraordinary thing you get to do. So when I'm, and, I, and, and it's like you can feel it because it has a certain, almost like a shape or a tone or an imprint to it when somebody isn't present in their life. You can, you, can, you can feel it right. It's almost like a radio station you can tune into and say, oh, they need this thing to be something so that they can then feel better about this. Well, that will never, that will never get you where you want to go. You, what you're doing is you're learning to find everything right here that you could ever need. And then if you do get that outcome, if you do, if that does happen, oh, bonus, bonus, wonderful. I got to learn all these things. The fact that right now I'm recording this episode and I get to share this with you, I'm, I'm way into frosting. I'm way into the gravy. <laughs> I'm way into the bonus round. We're just racking up the score at this point. Do you see what I'm saying? This is all, and we get to do this? Oh, 
Okay, third, when you have an it, what happens is you're narrowing what's possible. When what you want to do is open up possibilities. So if I have to have those people see what I'm doing and invite me in, promote me, (laughs) think that I'm great, whatever it is, the art of it is to keep as much space possible for the surprise. For the, really? It, the, they noticed it and appreciated it? Who would have thought? I've uh, been asked on a number of times, who's your target audience? <laughs> to which I always respond, humans. I can't, or on my, my last book, doing interviews last fall about my new book, who is this book for? Uh, I, I wasn't thinking of anybody. I was thinking of everybody. Um, or, or probably the best answer is, I'm learning who it was for. <laughs> you see that? Do you see what happens often is a person gets a... I've, I've, I've seen it at like an obsessive level. They're trying to get their thing connected with so-and-so. Um, and they're... There's just one email after another. Do you know anybody? They're trying to. Do you know anybody who knows them? They're endlessly. They're they're networking. They're hustling. They're trying to get this group, person, company, whatever it is. Um, but you see what that does. At a certain level, is it constricts. It like it 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 shuts down the lens. It takes the wideness of creation and all the possibilities. And it shrinks it down to, unless I get this outcome, yeah, what's even the point of it? I failed. Wait, 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 wait. What we're doing is we're opening up. We're looking to be surprised by where this thing goes. Yeah. So you work in a particular area, and it's like, well, I need to have the gatekeepers of this area acknowledge my excellence. Well, you might be ahead of the gatekeepers in your area. You might actually be innovating, and the people that you see as authority figures are the last people who are going to be able to acknowledge what you're doing because people generally don't affirm things when they get a paycheck for keeping the way things are done in play. They have a vested interest in the system staying the way that it is. And what you are suggesting is we make some tweaks here, and that often doesn't get received well if somebody has a paycheck from things continuing to be how they are. So uh, the number of people, especially last year doing all those sessions in the front yard, the number of people who are doing really interesting new work because they put the hours and years in, and so they're heading in a particular direction, and they're wondering why the mothership isn't giving them all of the accolades and rewards, but then they're also noticing that people from way outside their particular field are noticing what they're doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. You stay true to who you are, and you discover like camaraderie and colleagues and resonance uh, from all sorts of unexpected places. That's, yeah, that's part of the fun of it. Fourth, when you have an it... That's scarcity. Your joy is dependent on that person, that group, that company, that deal, that recognition, that number of followers, that 
that's scarcity. That's scarcity. That's saying it can only happen this way. Now, we are drowning in the water of scarcity. In some ways, the modern world has more abundance than ever, and yet scarcity is the name of the game. The, the, think about the curve in school. Uh, things, this, this test will be graded on a curve. A couple of people will get the best grades. I mean, from early on, our neural pathways have been formed by scarcity. There's only a little, and so throw some elbows and try to get it, but there's only a little. Yeah, scarcity is it's such a conditioning. Uh, by the way, this is why in the biblical tradition, there's so much talk of justice. J justice is about generosity. Justice about abundance. Justice is about the earth providing enough. Yeah. So when you have an it, oftentimes what's actually undergirding it is scarcity. You've fixated on this is the only way to provide, pay the bills, be legitimate, and man, you're living in a giant generative universe that's been making new. It's wildly diverse and creative. Is, is there some it, something you've been focused in on, honed in on, obsessing about? And right now, you realize, take a moment, take a deep breath. Can you see the scarcity in there? Can you feel the scarcity in there? Yeah. That's not what the universe is like. Your deepest self knows this. So what you're actually right now doing is you're opening yourself up to a new idea, which is actually a remembering of what you've known the whole time. How many cells are in your body? Yeah, diversity. Yeah, difference. Yeah. How many different human beings are there? Yeah, billions. How many different species are there? Yeah, right, lots, okay? Yeah, look around you. Look around you. Vastly creative. So whenever I meet somebody, and these are very real, bills, food, insurance, a roof, providing for people, that's very real. These are, it's not these aren't real, but oftentimes when somebody does, well, you know, I have to, yeah, there's lots of ways that can happen. You know, I got a responsibility. Yes, you do. And lots of ways provision can come. This is why Jesus, uh, this is why it moves me so much when Jesus teaches his students to pray, how to open themselves up to all of the forces larger than themselves. Give us this day, he says, our daily bread. Yeah, it's like you begin with this openness. Surprise me with how things get provided. Give us this day our daily bread. I got some needs here, and I'm staying open to all the ways that provision can come. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're doing here. That's what we're doing. When you have an it, when you've decided that this is how it comes to you, you've actually closed yourself off to the vast divine diversity of provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Yeah. Yeah. And then they all passed, every one of them, <laughs> and we're fine, and not just fine, we're good. And not just good, we are great. Give, I don't need the mountain, give me, forget the mountaintop, give me the valley.
Yeah. Give me day by day. Give me all the little mysteries and the miraculous movements and moments here and now. Yeah. Yeah. We don't need it. We don't need no it. <laughs> we don't need no it here. Because <laughs> uh, we're doing fine. We're doing fine. You get to do this, whatever this is, whatever, whoever you are. You get to explore and learn and grow. You get to follow this. You get to be this experience that you are. Yeah, and that's not esoteric, sort of sloppy, like, no, no, that's, that actually is the thing. That is the thing. Yeah, so these people don't appreciate, these people don't think you're legit, these people, okay, fine, fine, fine. You weren't, you were never playing that game in the first place. You were never playing that game in the first place. You'll be fine. Yeah, take it, whatever emotion it has around it, take it as data. Take it as information. Assume that it has within it some gift to help you hone and clarify who you are, what you're here to do, how it works for you. You're grounded and centered in that, and you're also open and limber and flexible, and of course you're interested in being surprised. Yeah, of course, might as well try that. Let's see where that goes. Uh, it'll take us into new places, or it'll confirm uh, the path we're already on. Yeah, yeah, we hold all this in the beautiful tension that it is. And then they all passed. <laughs> See how I tell you that story, and you're like, oh, well, of course, Rob, seriously, Rob Bell, no big deal. Keep going, man. Just keep going. You're fine. And that's my friend, my Robcast friends, what I say to you. Yeah, you got to kill that it because it was never where it is. No, the joy has been yours the whole time. The joy has been yours the whole time. Grace and peace and joy, my friends. <laughs>